All right. Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis. And I'm Jason Maletsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Absolutely. If you want to find us on the internet team, go to trustthejourney.today. That's our website. It's also our Instagram. If you'd like to join us in our private group, the Trust the Journey family, we expand the conversations from the podcast and support each other and make connections and just all of that good stuff. All of the things that we talk about on the show, we expand on in there. So please join us to do that. You just donate on Patreon. Uh, scroll down to the bottom of our website. There's a button and or reach out to us anytime and we'll help you with that. So yeah, right on family. Let's uh, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Yahoo. <laughs> so um, today we are diving into reflections number six. This will be the sixth episode in this series where we keep going back and forth between Melanie and I, and we're reflecting on different periods in our lives that affected us and really made us who we are. And we can all relate to this. They're the, you know, the, the big, the big standout periods. So today we're diving back into Melanie's story and we're going to be falling into kind of phase two in her career in the sport of skydiving. <laughs> uh, I think of it as her mastering the game period. Oh gosh, I wouldn't say mastering. I don't yeah, know yeah. if I would ever say that word, but thank yeah. you for well, that. I, I take it as a compliment. It, it, the fact is though, I mean, you roared onto the scene, right? <laughs> I don't and, know. And, and took a, took, put your place down and then ho- honed it, honed it, and honed it, and owned it, so... You know, well, it's, I don't even, that certainly wasn't conscious, you know? But that's the same with me. Come yeah. on, you know? We're just yeah. doing our thing, right? Just doing our thing. Yeah, I just, it was like, it was pure love. And uh, yeah, I did have some clarity around understanding impact and influence relative to when I realized that people were looking to me and caring about what I said and that I had uh, real power to elicit emotional wake in people, both in skydiving and out, because of my position in skydiving that they were perceiving me to have. So because of that, that was a definite turning point in consciousness relative to, oh, I'm a leader. Oh, people are looking to me and it matters to them what I say. So I, I immediately brought a much higher level of consciousness to that. And it's this it's a longer story, but it's relative to my best friend Carolyn Chow and realizing that I had said something when I first met her that made her think that I was sort of this sky god a-hole. And luckily she only thought that for about 20 minutes. But she told me the story a couple of years later into our like legit best friendship. And it it skewered me in the heart. Like it killed me that I could have done anything to like hurt her, you know, to hurt anybody that I love. So that made me instantly go, I am going to wield this power for good. Just recognizing the power of influence and then fully committing like hardcore to wield it for good. Cool. Yeah. I think it happens to most of us in in any position where we start to realize that we have an impact and that, that our voice has value, that it has weight, and that it affects people. Uh, it's definitely a big piece of that awareness puzzle. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So where do you want to start? What's your, what's, what, when you look back at this period in your life, where does that timeline kick in? Where does that period begin for you, right? Like we covered a section of your professional career. Um, a couple episodes back, which was Melsonor years, yep. right? So at what point in your skydiving career are we re-entering the story now? Yeah, well, when I left Skydive Elsinore, it was basically for the purpose of growing, you know, to grow beyond what I could do staying in one spot. I was starting to get invitations to coach and and. basically travel around the world to be a coach and and leader and just person that they brought into their events to make the events 
better, you know, that I could do the organizing that I did and and be the positive energy and the fun fun facilitator that I had been at Skydive Elsinore, but start to do that at events around the world. So I started to rise into this experience. And because I, I guess it, it's interesting because the internet and like Facebook and using of Facebook was sort of it wasn't like it was just newly starting, but it was definitely transition. It was transitioned to that such that I did. I feel like I did a good job of of sharing from a values perspective through that time, while also, you know, and what I mean by that is sharing the fun, sharing the love, sharing people growing and learning, sharing inclusiveness, sharing that type of of values set through how I was showing up and the specificity of the events that I attended. Uh, One of my favorite events that I ever attended was, uh, and I went to this boogie a couple of times, was an event in Finland. And it was so wonderful because the culture there is so different. You know, Americans, as a general rule, are loud and ridiculous and yeah, go team, go team, right? I'm this ridiculous sort of caricature of an American and I'm showing up in a very stoic society and I'm I'm looking for a response, you know, I'm organizing it and I laugh and I love my Finn friends so much and I really value all of the things that I learned by being exposed to so many different cultures. But the Finn story is interesting because I was organizing, and I remember this so, so vividly, is that I organized some cool jump, you know, just whatever. We were standing at the mock-up and trying to come up with something fun for everybody. And I came up with something that I thought was looked pretty fun and pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, and it was fucking crickets, man. I got like no no response whatsoever it was literally just like stone-faced and it was and I say this with love and I said to the to the team I was like guys give me something is that do you love this do you think this is the literally the worst jump you've ever thought of going on are you like eh, it's okay like come on something and uh we just laughed and laughed and laughed about that but through my efforts and me being committed to just being my actual self, which is what I always, always was and always have been, that sort of ultimately earned our real relationship. And I have certainly friends from that time in my life that have been life that are life gonna be lifelong friends. And it's it's just so funny and interesting that the humanity is even if the culture differences are there, that even me showing up as this sort of kind of overt American, really uh, in-your-face American. And again, I say that with a grain of salt, but I mean it from an enthusiasm perspective, from a positivity expressive perspective, uh, that you still can make really wonderful connections when you hold space for each other being whatever they are. I really adore the uh, Scandinavian cultures myself. I'm, I'm a huge fan. And they're so vastly different. Uh, um, the 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 way that the cultures exist comparative to the American culture, and it's a huge culture shock. I know. I remember going to Sweden the first time with my uh, my skydiving team, with the PD Factory team, to do a coaching camp, and we were organizing, you know, thirty uh, plus people at a time into groups of five or six who are all learning to fly canopies at different levels, you know, and the the culture is just is very uh, group oriented, very connected, very grounded, very club oriented, yeah, and a completely different just way of being. You know, everybody's in it together, and um, it, it was really you know some of the best experiences of my life have been traveling through. Um, Sweden, Nor- Norway, Finland. I just absolutely love the area. Yeah. I'm happy to hear your stories about the, the <laughs> yeah. same the same places. And I, I was actually in Finland earlier this year. I went to yeah. Helsinki. Yeah, oh, I uh, love back it. in February. Yeah, in February, it's been a week in Helsinki. Yeah, love love Finland. Love my Finn friends so much. Totally. Yeah. 
So where else in the world did you get to go? Because oh, I mean, gosh. this takes us, it, it takes ev- everywhere, right? Yeah. One of the, one <laughs> of the coolest stories I think from my sort of headliner professional skydiver traveling the world, living the dream thing. And I say live in the dream because that was a joke we used to say is that people who would travel and regular people on the boogie circuit, as it were, uh, were, uh, always ended up at the same spots. So it was a lot of, the interesting thing was sort of a mobile family, you know, where it was the organizers that were sort of regulars and the vendors who were there at all the boogies. And so you kind of had, even though you were in this sort of weird transient experience, this weird traveling experience, you still had a core crew of people that you always saw. So there was some tone of of uh, normalcy or some tone of uh, sort of stability, even amidst all that craziness. And we used to joke that every weekend we would be at the biggest party of the year because it would be the biggest event of whatever drop zones year. And so I always, as much as there's a part of me when I would get tired and and feel roughed up by the travel and by building my life coaching business alongside all of this crazy travel, it was a very intense time in my life. But even with that sort of exhaustion and burnout building up, I really always cared to honor that every single time I was invited to a drop zone, every single time I showed up to work someplace, it was the most important event for their year. You know, and maybe, maybe okay, not the most every single time, but for the most part, it was it, it was Drop Zone's biggest events of the year, one, two, or three. And I really cared to make sure that I always showed up energetically and on point for them, even though it became sort of normal for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, my printer, absolutely. My printer's totally like, it makes random sounds sometimes, <laughs> just so you know. Mine totally updated in the middle of a conversation <laughs> the other day, too. It just kicked on, started doing stuff. Yeah. I think we've all had the same experience when it comes to the, the boogie tour and the whole live in the dream commentary. It's related to the fact that you're often living far from a dream existence, right? You're like living in some bunk rooms, spending half your time in bus stations, train stations, caravans of automobiles, planes, airports, going from one place to another, living on, on a low dollar experience. There's no luxury to it at all. Yep. And hopping from one event to the next and you're basically rolling out of some biggest event of the year and you're like, okay, close up that book. And for me, I know a lot of the time that involves some kind of a hangover of exhaustion from the event from all the energy that went into it and then the closing out the event with whatever big party they have to celebrate and then you're wiped out and all you got to do now is travel to the next one and press play again yeah so it's a lot like it's, being it's a rock very band. very challenging yeah the and yeah. the joke of living the dream is very real relative to some of the hardship of travel and the exhaustion like you describe and of course that joke is absolutely balanced with the massive gratitude that we all felt and i am i am speaking for my friends and make sure write us correct me if you don't agree my friends that i'm speaking for right now but we all also very hugely recognize what a fucking cool amazing experience of life we were all able to have doing that I would never trade it as much as it was difficult and as much as it burned me out in the end, it was 1000% worth it. Absolutely. And it burns almost everybody out. Yep. I mean, it's, it's just not a sustainable way of living that that experience, that journey of constantly being from the biggest party of the year to the biggest event of the year to the biggest event of the year to the biggest party of the year. It, you can't sustain it. And it is such an incredible existence at the same time. You're just riding this wave of energy across the planet from one group of people's excited energy to the next group of people's excited energy. And so you're feeding on all this energy at the same time as you're putting it all in and stoking the fire with your own. You're kind of the the core, uh, like the maestro to it all. You're like, let's have it this way. Let's do it this way. We've been practicing this all year. Let's do it as a team, you know, and it's great. And there's a lot of, of, just there's so much value in learning that skill set too and this is one of the things i also hugely value about this period in my career is 
being able to, I was with so many different people in so many different cultures and I got to become friends with those people. I got to learn how to communicate with those people. I got to be in a leadership role with those people. I got to do so many things that that experience facilitated. And how that underpins, because this is something as a life coach and as someone who works with people in business and, and in leadership in all various kinds of roles, is that we often think that our skills are not transferable. Right. So how does being a professional skydiver who travels the world and stokes parties and facilitates fun, how does that, you know, and facilitate safety and yada yada and inclusion, all this stuff, how does that how does that parallel? It totally parallels in pretty much any teamwork that you then do in any other environment. And so it's just so intensely valuable. And I guess I'm just lucky enough that I've always been a reflective person and I've always as a a writer, so as a writer, and this is basically when I left Skydive Elsinore, I had just really very recently started writing my column for Blue Skies Magazine, which I have been writing for 10 years now, and I've never missed one month, and that is something I am very proud of, because that is a fucking lot of work, and it's super hard. (laughs) For anyone who's a writer, they know that. But um, that column, and also my natural sort of propensity to be reflective about extracting insight from experience. That has been a core thread for how I roll and how I operate as a growth-minded person and a growth-minded professional, looking to improve, but also looking consistently in practice. People ask me about the positivity thing, and it's it is not because I'm just naturally some positive person. I think maybe partly that's that's there. But I think it's more so that I have been in consistent practice to look for what's valuable in the scenarios that I find myself in. And that practice just becomes my default. So like I've trenched the fucking hell out of my neural pathways. Booyah. (laughs) But seriously, I mean that like 100% I mean that. I'm not going to argue with you in any way, shape or form. There's only one way to survive this existence and be happy about it. And that is to learn how to find the positive in everything, right? Yeah. Well, and I want to tell this one story that I sort of I sort of mentioned, but then went on a different track of thinking, was because you asked where else in the world did I go? One of the coolest things I got to do, and ugh, it's actually really hard to even say what's coolest. They all were so incredible, is and challenging in their own right, like we've said. But one year I got invited to organize in Australia at at their uh, girls boogie down there. And I was psyched because it was one of my earlier organizing gigs. It was in 2011. And I, why that was so special to me is that I learned to skydive in Australia. Like I got my A license down there. I got... I went, I crossed 100 jumps in Australia. Like it was my home DZ, you know, AFF level five to like 112 jumps or something like that when I left Australia back in 1999. And to be invited back in 2011 as a professional to organize at this, at one of their biggest boogies with people that I respected and loved in parallel organizing with me, along with, you know, just, it was so, so, so cool to me to be able to do that, to feel like, wow, I, I've, I've achieved something, as it were. Like, it really was that one of those moments where it was just so wonderful to me to be able to go back there in that capacity. Now, when I was there, a, another really cool thing happened for me is that we had some weather and we were doing some seminars. So I was leading a seminar in a weather on a weather day. And as I'm talking and talking about, I don't even know what I was talking about, belly body position or something, you know, whatever I was sharing about, mm-hmm. uh, up in the back of the crowd walks my friend Muttley. And he was one of the quintessential primo 
cool kids at my drop zone in Australia when I learned. And I totally was just enamored with him in the sense that he was super funny and really always nice to me, always included me. And, you know, it was never any like hookup scenario, just because that's always a question, I think, when it comes to relating to about men and women in, in skydiving is that can happen often. But uh, for us, it was a friendship and it was so, so amazing to me to see him show up for me in that role because I didn't know he was coming. I had no idea. It was a complete surprise. And I was instantly catapulted in myself. I, I somehow miraculously finished the talk, but I was mer- like really catapulted back into my young newbie I have less than 100 skydives level of joy and enthusiasm. It meant so much to me that he showed up. It meant so much to me that he was nice to me back in the day when I was wicked uncool, when I wasn't a leader, when I was the new person. And I, what I love about this story and, and Muttley's influence in, on my skydiving career, and there are many people, by the way, that have influenced me in this way, but he's just one of those people that because of his kindness and his effort to include me, that imprinted on me. And as a result, I became a leader like that. And that is a huge fucking deal. And it's why, one of the reasons why I care deeply about being a leader like that. Completely agree and I understand. Yeah, I know. I know you do. (laughs) I totally know. (laughs) Yeah, That's awesome. It's such an honor. Right. When one of your it's it's the the greatest honor a teacher can receive is when the student outperforms the teacher, you know, and for the the teacher to be the one to show up for the student and be able to be present while they shine. Uh, it's, it was, it's such it was a, a beautiful big, relationship. Yeah, it was a big moment. It was yeah. so wonderful and moving to me. I still write him every so often and be like, hey, love you. Thank you for being amazing. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's a beautiful relationship. I'm, I, I, I can sit here and just enjoy knowing that that interaction exists, and it just makes me feel warm, just to be present to it. You know. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So, tell me more about your story. Where else <laughs> do we want to pick up in this massive journey that we're only going to hear slices of. Oh, I know. It's impossible to share the whole thing. I mean, I mentioned that I was writing for Blue Skies Magazine, and I mentioned briefly that in this period of my career and skydiving career, I also was starting to build my life coaching business in parallel. And that was a huge reason why I ended up exhausted and burned out is because I was living the dream, traveling, you know, going to all the events, saying yes to every bit of work because I was a young entrepreneur going, oh, fuck, I need to pay my my bills. Oh, shit, I need to put food on the table. Oh, oh, I didn't get it that I was actually fully now in control of my own destiny financially. Like that had never happened until 2011. And so I was sort of in a little bit of a like, whoa, reality check around entrepreneurship. So I was genuinely saying yes to every single bit of work I I got. And- Also working so hard, working so hard when I got back uh, home in between events, I was working to do whatever life coaching calls I got. I was working to create freaking online webinars, which is, you know, like virtual or online instant teleseminar.com back in the day, whatever, you know, software we used back then to try to do online education. It was, I was working to not be completely stressed building that type of education. And one of the things that was a big sort of insight and important awareness for me was I was very afraid at that point and attached to the outcome with the life coaching career because I was new to it. I really wanted to be good at it. I really wanted to be successful as an entrepreneur, as a as a business owner relative to it because it was very purpose-driven and still is to this day. And I was worried that all people would like me for was skydiving. Mm-hmm. I was really afraid that my 
my success was going to only be found inside professional skydiving. And as a result of that, I had to figure out a way to sort of reframe that fear. And what I did was I, I, I remember I was sitting in my car, in my car, sitting outside of a, like a liquor store in Casa Grande, just like, I don't know, you know how when you stop and you, you uh, have an errand to run, but then you sit there with your phone or you sit there for a little bit. That's what I was doing. And I was sort of thinking about this. And I thought of Madonna, Madonna, the singer, the artist. Mm -hmm. And I thought about how much, because I love her. I think she's super awesome. I thought about how many times she has reinvented herself. And I thought, everybody fucking loves Madonna. And she's done so many different iterations of her thing. And they love her because she's her, because she owns what she chooses into and she's okay with the people that don't want to follow her there. And so in order to support myself to continue to step confidently and bravely in the direction of life coaching, while I was doing this very sort of comfortable role as a professional skydiver where I had found great success, I had basically come up with an affirmation that was, I'm Madonna, motherfuckers. Like, and I, that's exactly the words because I needed some kind of like cool, you know, energy toward the affirmation where I'm Madonna motherfuckers, as in the people who are going to love me are going to love me no matter what I am doing. If I'm doing it with integrity, if I'm doing it with authenticity, if I'm doing it with bravery, if I'm living into my values, it won't matter the content. And that, of course, became true as well over the course of my my growth as a person and professional. But that affirmation was in my to-do list, and I read it every day for like four years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, know, I know that game so well. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how powerful a simple thing like a mantra, an affirmation, um, a decision to embody a particular energy can really become who we are if we lie to ourselves long enough that we eventually begin to believe it. Yeah, it's true. Right? It yeah. really does it really does work in the sense that you have there has to be some shred of sort of belief, but I mean maybe there doesn't. I don't know. I feel no, like I feel like they work. Yeah, for sure. There's something you you can have equal you can have a much great, even a, like a much greater part of disbelief, this huge amount of disbelief. But as long as there's some part of you that's like, I I think I can or I want to be and or I know that if I try hard enough or maybe one day, like if there's anything at all that can grasp onto the idea that can care, hang on to that thread, then the rest of that part of us that doesn't quite get there, that doesn't quite have that you know, confidence or the skill set or the experience or, you know, the the practice, you know, all the things that come along with time and practice, you know, yeah. then it'll come. It'll come. I know years and years of doing the same thing. I can stood in front of the mirror every single day and be like, you're the best in the world, Jay. Part of me is like, fucking A, you are. And part of me is like, you are lying. <laughs> you are lying. <laughs> Like, you shut up. I'm not going to do this. You shut up. (laughs) (laughs) We all have that. Oh, Oh, we all have that. That's the thing, right? Is realizing that it's, yeah, it's, we all have that. It's the same, yeah. The understanding of that is, I think, a real release for people when they finally believe it. And that's one thing I get a lot from life coaching is that I get the great honor to witness people's pain and to witness people's effort to really face what they're actually thinking and feeling. And Mm -hmm. as a result, I get to really be so just wonderfully witnessed to humanity. And that's why with such conviction, I can sit here and say, we all feel that. We all struggle with those types of things. I've seen it time and time again over the last 12 years with the people I've worked with and, of course, with myself. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Tell me about Rapa. Yeah, that's actually yeah. liter- That was just the thing I was going to say next if you uh, gave me some open space. But You've had, yeah, you go. 
Wrap a wrap a boogie was a, is a good example. So that was a boogie in Germany, and my friend Rob Kendall, who's awesome, he like ran that boogie, ran that drop. So it was sort of a dream of his, and and he was one of the vendors for a long time. Uh, so during the boogie circuit, you know, we're doing Carolina Fest, we're doing Chicks Rock, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing all these boogies, and we would see each other all the time. So we became good friends. And we would dream. We would dream up things that we would do sort of next next level. And one of the things that he said and we said together was we w- he wanted to be running a drop zone in Germany or in, in, and he wanted to invite me as an organizer. And I was like, yes, because I hadn't done much international travel at that point. It was relatively new for me to think about traveling internationally. And I loved the idea of doing more of that to have more cultural experiences to just, you know, ex- create these things that we were dreaming up. Part of that dream for me also included my ex-husband and the dream of going there together, of like doing doing a thing together and having this really cool, oh my God, this dream is coming true. I'm so excited. And the timing of Rappa happened to happen right after we sort of broke up. And so as a result, he did not go to the event. And I was in this really, really, really painful, like painfully heartbroken state because it was pretty raw at that point. So I had to show up as a professional in the fun facilitator, be awesome, live the dream role. And I was in excruciating emotional pain, which is not to blame. I don't say that as a blame. I say that just as, a, as an observation of just what heartbreak feels like for people and what it felt like for me then. But it also points to what I had attached to as needing to be an outcome that I wanted, right? Like I wanted it to be, to happen this particular way. And now when I've, after I've healed and I've, I've been able to reflect and grow and recognize all the things that were, you know, my part in, in the things that happened in my life, looking back on that, it's still such a wonderful thing to think about because we did that. Like we lived that dream. That dream happened. It didn't happen in the way that I thought it would. And it didn't happen in the way at the time that I really wanted it to. But it still happened. We still made it happen. So it's this interesting dichotomy of living something, really living it real time, being there in Germany, you know, and this happened to be at the time when we were doing the drop zone dance off sort of blew up in the skydiving industry and I'll tell you about that but that's the thing that Jorge Alonso and I sort of started but let's go back to that so we did one of those there and I'm struggling so deeply with my own personal emotional self and and emotional life it's just it's just a good example of you just never know what people are struggling with you never know what it takes for people to show up and bring their energy you never know uh, you know, what your dream's going to end up looking like. You know what I mean? And being really open and almost understanding to life and knowing that those specific outcomes that we get too attached to can be risky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can be risky. And I don't say that to incite fear or to have people dream less. I just say that to invite people to be okay with if they're in a challenging time themselves now that it's okay you know we've all been there and you'll get through it and you'll likely as time passes and as you grow and heal we'll still look back on that and and count it as a really valuable character character building experience which is what it became for me how many times would you say that your vision of your dream was accurate to how the dream was realized uh never like literally never 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 and some of like think of some of the biggest things that you've ever imagined accomplishing and then the ones that you that you actually have accomplished are they even relatively measurable like how can you relate a little bit here well I could never have thought up this part of my life. 
I could never have thought up the Melsonar part of my life. I did had no concept that that was a thing. We talked about that last time. We talked about the Elsinore years. Excuse me. Uh, and same with this. Same with this. This is a great example. This period of my career and this section of my life was basically the section of my life where I was aware that we are so much more capable than we ever currently think, that the first phase, this is the phase where I was aware that I had no idea what was possible ever. And as such, I received that as a fucking huge opportunity. And so I leaned in hard in this period, both in professional skydiving, doing so many different cool things. And I leaned in with my life coaching business, like creating and and imagining this idea of this mobile life, which by the way, in recent times in COVID life has still served me. The fact that I spent the last 10 plus years developing a mobile life and really committing to that because of my value of freedom. It's just so fascinating how it all plays out. But yeah, I I had no idea any of it was possible. And now as a result of that, it helps me think so much bigger. I Whenever I think of an idea and it's like, oh, that's the initial idea, I try to take that and use it as a practice to go, Wait, okay, that's what my brain can think up right now. What what can't I think up? You know, and I try to really stretch my own imagination to come up with stuff that might be even more of a stretch because my life has proven to me that things that I have no idea are possible are totally possible. I I can definitely relate to that in with with complete clarity. Life continues to seem to present this um concept that whatever you think is impossible is possible just repeatedly over and over and over again the other night i had a dream one of the most powerful dreams i've had in my entire life um it was so lucid uh i could barely keep you know like it just felt like i was awake the whole time and it had this experience of like going through this life but being conscious that it was kind of just a game and we're just playing our part and that nothing could ever really go wrong because it's just the game and in so whatever we wanted to do we could do as long as we believed we could do it yeah. so if it was this whole, the whole part of the game is like if you believe it you can do it but you have to keep believing that you can do it and as soon as you got fearful or started being afraid that it wasn't going to work then you couldn't do it yeah and so this the whole um key to the puzzle per se was just the willingness to believe that anything was possible with fearlessness that that meant that anything could be possible that you couldn't know anything that you you also at the same time as if anything's possible it means you can't possibly know everything yeah so you have to release control in order to have control absolutely that's one of the biggest insights of my life as well is recognizing that the what is found in uncertainty is actually the best possible stuff. The, like the best possible stuff is found in the places we can't predict, in my experience. Now, again, I don't say that to not set goals. I don't say that to not be intentional about how we take action and move toward goals. I just say that that keeping a flexibility and an openness that more than what we think could be possible is such a huge, powerful state because it it takes our metaphorical white knuckles off of things and and releases them. And so that's part of having these experiences that were <clears throat> excuse me, painful and break not, breakdowns and perceived quote unquote failures which I don't believe in. I literally don't believe in the word word failure <laughs> like at all. I only really believe in opportunities for growth and uh evolution and healing, which is Every single time I've had a breakdown in my life, that's what those have been. I was in a BOD meeting this week, quarterly yeah. quarterly BOD meeting. It's, it's office work, right? It's, it's heavy work. And we were going through and it was positives and negatives. And somebody went delete, 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 delete and wrote opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Positives so and opportunities. Well, and yeah. so so anyway, I wanted to go back to the drop zone dance off because that's such a phenomenon. It was such an 
a fun and incredible, beautiful phenomenon. And another thing that happened while I was in painful heartbreak. And that's another thing I like to and want to highlight is that we can do still do so much even when we're struggling. And it's not that we have to, right? Resting and being gentle with ourselves is also very important. But I invite people to consider that when things change radically like that, there's a space that opens up, right? Like there's no way I would have gone on the world tour. There's no way I would have done certain things if my life hadn't changed and no way I would have moved back to the Northeast where I now love, right? So there's a lot of things that opened up because of that in my life. But one of the things in relative to my skydiving, professional skydiving career at that point was I was organizing and coaching at Skydive Carolina sort of as a, it wasn't at one of their biggest events. I just kind of went to coach and do a coaching weekend with just me and it was cool. We had weather and we were being ridiculous and joking around and having fun and <laughs> and Jorge, <laughs> he's so awesome, and Jorge says, we, where I says we should do a drop zone dance off, and I was like, yes, like literally, it was Jorge's brain brainstorm, like his idea, and me being like, yes, and then basically making everyone on the drop zone do it. I mean, not everyone, like only people who wanted to participate. But the fact is, is that's such a fucking cool example of one ridiculous idea that we said that we said yes to, and then it, a leader, someone like me, steps in and takes their sort of position of of uh, influence and whatever cool factor I might have had at that point, being someone invited in to lead and making it cool to participate, making it fun and a thing that would be fun to be a part of versus going, oh my God, no, I'm going to look stupid. I don't want to do that. No, no. I was like up there, Jorge was up there, and we were willing to look stupid. And as a result, what happened is that we posted that video and we invited other drop zones to into a challenge, like to a fun challenge of doing their drop zone dance-off video. And it went, took off like crazy. So many drop zones did it. PD did it. Other, like so many places did it. And it, I ended up writing an article about it, of course, because I write about everything. But what's so amazing about that is that, again, that came out of a place of who, it certainly wasn't perfectly you know, incepted idea. And it certainly wasn't like I was in the perfect place to lead some fun, stupid thing. But because we did, and because we did that, and we followed through on this ridiculous idea that was fun, and we included people, and we brought the energy of fun to it, it ended up creating so many different opportunities for so many people around the skydiving community that had a, that made new memories with their friends that they were able to embrace nonsense. They were able to embrace being fun and ridiculous for no fucking reason but because it's fun and ridiculous. And that makes me just so happy. The idea that so many laughs and so much fun was facilitated just because we were willing to follow through on something stupid. I love you, Melanie. I love you. <laughs> Will you do me a favor? Will you turn on screen share for a second? <laughs> yeah, sure. You have to enable screen share on your little I green will. button. I'm yeah. making you a co-host. Boom, yeah. now you're a co-host. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So this is this is your fault, right? I'm sure this is the exact same time period. <laughs> and this is in Istanbul in the penthouse <laughs> yes. of a tall building with a bunch of my base shipping friends. When sorry, when was this? This is in Istanbul in oh. the space jumping event that I was at. <laughs> I am. It makes me so happy. You don't have any idea. Yeah, like, I just come across this in my files just the other day. Oh, I love this so much. <laughs> I love it. And for those listening, you can't see. I'm watching a room full of base jumpers throwing around their pilot shoots, dancing, looking stupid. Oh my God, it's the best thing I've ever seen. 
everybody is dressed oh. as hilariously as they can be <laughs> and just going off to the music and we're in the penthouse suite oh. of a building when it's too windy to jump and we're like let's do the dance off oh like, my let's God. have some fun right <laughs> and it's i believe that deeply that fun is a value worth prioritizing Oh, yes. Period. Oh, yes. No and I doubt think that's there. a big reason why I was successful as a professional skydiver is that that's not me just trying to help people have fun. I believe that deeply. And that's mm. why I think I was successful. And I say this a lot talking about this phase in my career is that I'm not a world champion, right? I'm not a world champion. I haven't competed at the highest possible levels. I've You're competed at high in levels. My books. Yeah, no, no. But my point is just hear me out because there's no part of me that doesn't think I'm a champion because of, you know, really believing and living into my values. That's what I feel like really makes a champion is someone who really lives into them. And some people, it takes them to the highest levels of athletic achievement like you. You know what I mean? That's amazing. And for me, it took me to the highest levels of, of leadership and influence and impact, which is what I cared about. Being with people. My goals yeah. have, have really always centered around being with people. You know, as soon as I realized that I didn't care about winning four-way FS, like, world championship, as soon as I realized that, it became very clear to me that it was really just about wanting to be able to do jumps with my friends and make memories and help people have fun and be included and, and love each other. That's, I mean, it sounds so, like, trite, but really, that is that is sort of the base of, of why I'm successful. I have to absolutely agree. You know, I can say from my own personal experience of, of being a world champion multiple times is that it's a very hollow and empty, lonely, lonely experience. It is they say it is lonely at the top and it is lonely at the top. You just stand there all by yourself going, all right, where's all my friends? I thought we were going to play and have fun together. And now it's just it's just you. You know, like, oh, you're the great one. And like, no, we came here to have fun and play, <laughs> you know, like, it's not about yeah. me. It's just whoever happened to do the best that day. And that's already, you know, so I completely agree and echo your sentiments that what I've learned through my journey is the same thing, that it's not about the competition. I often look back at my comp competitive career thinking it's some of the most ridiculously wasted time that I've ever had in my life even though it's led to everything else that I've had it's just it's ridiculous there's no value to it the true values and the connections that we make and the impact that we have and how we affect the lives of those we come encounter with you know so. yeah and that's the thing and that's about going back to the idea of extracting value is we are growing and evolving people you know what I mean like I didn't know without having the intensity of experience that I had traveling the world, really rising as a, and really leaning in hard to professional skydiving in that form, I wouldn't have met all the people that I met. I wouldn't have made all those connections. That wouldn't have happened. I also wouldn't have burned the fuck out and crashed and burned as crazy as I did too. But those were exactly the experiences I needed to evolve. And those and and to really reflect on and bring consciousness to why I was doing that because I think part of that that part of my career also showed me or it gave me it was an experience of my growing consciousness but there was quite a bit of unconsciousness there for me as a and what I mean by that is because I didn't really know what I was building toward. I was I was really just in this experience, unsure of where it was going to take me. And because I wasn't super far along in my own personal development, I it was difficult for me to see how I was a freight train heading to like total exhaustion. You know what I mean? It's it's easy to see now, but I couldn't really see it then. And so on the positive side of the house, Fuck yeah, man. So much awesomeness, so wonderful, so much insight to extract. And on the sort of opportunity to grow side, it's, yeah, those breakdowns and those struggles that then invite you into what's next for you. So for me, it invited me into, 
the next phase and and that being the again sort of big breakdown but being okay with even though I was terrified of this being okay with really stepping away from skydiving for two full years that was a huge deal for me to do that and it was terrifying for me to do that but what that period gave me and this is a separate thing but I think it's really the it's the punctuation of the mega quote unquote mastery <laughs> The comedy of the fact that you called it the mastery phase, that it ends with the mass, most massive breakdown. <laughs> All the best. All the best. Name one amazing artist who hasn't pulled that off. Totally. Right? And so, yeah. So that period, it, it led me to the exact experience that I needed for self-reflection to have an experience of what is life like when I'm not Melanie Curtis, professional skydiver. That Melanie Curtis, professional skydiver, I totally know who that is. That person is confident. That person knows what's up. That person is not afraid. That person understands where she stands in the value, in her values and how she wants to lead in that community and the sport. All of those things were very confident for me. And they still are now to this day. But what I didn't really have then was that life balance piece. I didn't really have an understanding of my own personal boundaries. I didn't really have clarity of self, deep self-love. I, and uh, all of these things is what led me to over-give in terms of all of my relationships, but definitely in my professional skydiving. I had to show up as the best of the best of the best of the best every single time. I had to give every ounce. And so I would be killed for days at a time after and then I would give everything I had in my life coaching business, every single, everything I had to show up, you know, and I believe that's important. But what I was missing was self-care. I had no concept of balance. And that's why I ended up hugely breaking down, which led to some of the best lessons of my life. Can I ask you a question um, with regards to showing up and being 100% every time? showing up and being the Melanie Curtis, you know, did it take the fun out of it? Did it make it, it hard? It made it harder. Yeah. It made it harder when I was exhausted, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it was never inauthentic. It was never inauthentic. What was inauthentic was if I ever projected that I wasn't exhausted. So that part of it was, you know, and, uh, and again, not that I always was, but, and that's what really has led to my evolution as a professional too, is that in coming back to skydiving after the two-year break, because there was a part of me that felt intuitively clear that skydiving and I were not done. Like I was, there, that relationship, I always kind of joke about excuse me, I joke about skydiving and me having the longest relationship of my life, even though, of course, that's not true, my family, but meaning, you know, outside of family and that we've been through ups and downs. We've broken up. We've gotten back together. You know, like we, we have had a lot of experiences, skydiving and I. And where I feel like I am now is at a very healthy place where and this was part of the fear of reentry is that i was really still quite afraid that i would have to be in order to be involved in skydiving i would have to be melanie curtis load one to sunset on 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 super intense and i knew that i didn't want to do that like i was super clear that i didn't want to do that and so i had to think to myself so this is actually a really good story to share but when I was getting back current, I had jumped again and that was wonderful and I'd overcome my fear and that's sort of a different thing, but I was grateful and glad to get through that. I started to then get invitations to work again, which was wonderful. Again, how wonderful is that? How mm -hmm. fucking wonderful is that? That after two years off, they, people see that I'm jumping again and they instantly want to have me come. Like I honor that so deeply. I'm so moved and so grateful by it about that and as a result of that feeling and gratitude around an invitation like that and specifically in the story I'm going to tell it's relative to skydive orange 
a place that I love that I've worked at for many years as a visiting organizer. Pam wrote me and was like, hey, hey, we'd love to have you come. And I was instantly sort of twisted up in knots, really worried about it because I love them. I'm like, oh, I don't want to, do I want to do this? I know I don't want to do it. Like, duh. Long story short, I really thought about what, what would it take for me to want to do this? What would it take for me to be able to show up in earnest, authentic, radiant energy? That's me. That's pure me in the, in the form I am now today, not the Melanie Curtis of yesteryear who killed it and did everything and was super, super crazy intense. So I, so I thought about that and I wrote Pam back and I had, and it was scary for me to do it because I was worried that she wouldn't be cool with it. You know, I was worried that she would say no, that, uh, that Melanie Curtis of yesteryear really is the only version of Melanie Curtis that people would want. Yeah, go ahead. Is, is that an imposter syndrome where you think like the version of you that previously existed is the only version that they would want? I don't know if it's kind of thing. I don't know if it's imposter syndrome per se, because the confidence of my skills was not in question. You know what I mean? But it was an evolved and a different version of me. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Who knows? Semantics. Yeah. Either way, I felt concerned that so what my clarity came to. I realized that I didn't want to be super intense anymore. I wanted to only do, I wanted to go back to my roots and only do basic belly skills camps because I really love working with new jumpers. It's like totally one of my most favorite things to do. And still, I still love it. So what I wrote to Pam was, hey, I love this. Thank you so much for the invitation. I've thought about this a lot, and I basically outlined that I the Melanie Curtis of yesteryear was gone. That I have I will not be doing turns. I will be taking. I want to do belly a belly skills camp and and be that kind of organizer. And I want to be able to just chill with the number of jumps that we do during the day, so that I can talk to people on the ground, so that I can or like coach them and look at look at videos and stuff like that. And I just owned it. I just owned it. And I owned, you know, again, the financial piece of professional skydiving is another entire conversation. But I just owned everything. I owned this is how much I cost. This is what I want to do. And I won't do anything else. And if you want someone else, there's so many young, uh, awesome new organizers coming up in the ranks. I'm happy to recommend someone to you. And I really was. And Pam's response to me is so moving to me, is that she responded pretty much instantly and was like, yeah, we just want you. And I like, whew, I still makes me almost cry because it was, <laughs> it was one of the reflections that I needed to be able to continue to own it. So... <laughs> I'm crying because it's so wonderful. It and sounds I, to me like a, you, you have this, this idea that you needed to be something other than yourself. And that's yeah. where I said, is it imposter syndrome? Like, or do you have this feeling like you need to pretend to be somebody that you're not anymore yeah. in order to have value, to have yeah. worth? Like you have to be this other thing. Totally. When really, they just don't care what thing you mm-hmm. want to be. Whoever you want to be is who they yeah. want. Yeah. That fear that that was that I was trying to fix with the I'm Madonna motherfuckers, that was a resolution of that. How many years later? Probably like seven years later or eight years later. Yeah. And so it was a big deal. And so anyway, and I this from the perspective of that share, that's a great example of a drop zone. And it's not just because they wanted me to come. And it's not just because they supported me specifically. It's how they show up as a drop zone with their values, which is also why I'm even willing to work there. Because that's another thing that's a huge boundary for me is that I will only work at places that I feel very values aligned with as well. Yeah, agreed. Fantastic, Mel. Thank you <laughs> Thank so much you. for sharing. Such a beautiful note. 
Yeah, there's so else? much. Oh, God, who knows? There's a million things. There's so much we didn't talk about, but that's how it is. That's well, how it goes. Well, the great thing is that we have endless amounts of podcasts. <laughs> we can just make more and more and more of these as much as we want, and we can share as many of them as we can, as long as we can push record and push play and send these things out, our audience exactly. can absorb them. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, as always, for being here. We love you. We love you a million times. And I'm always so grateful for you guys giving me and holding space for me. Jay, you included, of course. And just, yeah, I'm grateful. Namaste. Namaste. Keep laughing. Keep, keep loving, loving. And keep, keep trusting, trusting the, the journey. journey. <laughs> Stupid. I love it. See you, everybody. <laughs>